Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Truly how great and mighty you are. And in spite of all that greatness and awesomeness, you care about the small details of each and every one of us. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. You may be seated. Funny little thought came to me while I was sitting down there getting ready to come up to share. I thought, essentially, most of last week, I've been working with goalkeepers. And in the hot sun, sitting down there, we tried to send them over to the shade. But uh, we, they all, as soon as the camp day is over, they all hustle home into their dorm rooms and get right to sleep, you know, of course. And uh, so the next morning, they're ready to roll. Ha! And uh, we just had a little thing going that makes sure that if you sit down in the grass and you're listening as uh, instruction is given to you, that's okay. Just don't lay down. So just make sure you stay upright. You'll be all right. If not, watch out for flying soccer balls. In that scripture reading, um, I'm always impressed uh, in, in Matthew 6 about God's knowledge of our needs. I'm also impressed about our inability sometimes, maybe more often than not, to trust in God, to really believe he knows exactly what I need, whether it's clothing, solutions to issues, problems, uh, repairs in physical things, physical body, emotional needs, whatever it might be. God knows these things, and it's easy sometimes for us to think differently. And I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts. Did you know that God fixes computers? I mean, the hardware of a computer. I, I can sometimes fathom he can fix, you know, the software. But the hardware. Um, Cindy and I were early on in our ministry in Germany. And Kyle and Caleb and Benjamin were uh, with us in those days. And uh, I had already become kind of very intrigued with computers just prior to leaving for the mission field. Um, enough that it kind of drove Cindy nuts at times. And as we hit the mission field, ha! We needed the computer, finally. <laughs> we needed the computer. She did all the financial work for Germany, and it was a huge uh, deal working with two different currencies and often other currencies when we traveled across borders for different um, needs for the denomination. And so she sat down and did all the labor, so to speak, the labor-intensive things. I figured out how to program it and set it into Quattro Pro was the program I was programming. And I could sit down with that, and she would give me the information. I'd plug it into the computer, and we'd figure it out. And that wasn't too amazing to her. But what was nice was that in the future, three months down the road, if we received information, and, hey, you entered something over here wrong or whatever, or something changed from the denomination, and we had to make the change... Boy, if you're doing it all by hand, you had a mess to work with. But with the computer, just type in the new number, everything changes right on through and just have to print it all back out. So she really started to actually enjoy, well, that's taking it too far. She appreciated the computer a little bit. Well, one evening, uh, probably three or four in the afternoon, I was working on the computer. Uh, I don't know if it was actually work-related, but I was working with a computer, and it crashed. It broke. It quit. And it's happened a few times up to that point. 
And I wasn't too worried about it. And I started to dink around with the thing, and it just was not really responding very well at all. And uh, I had programmed in DOS, and I was using DOS to try to sort things out, and nothing was working. And I was really getting started to get really kind of frustrated with this thing. And Cindy uh, could tell that things weren't going very well, and she came into the offices and said, uh, so what's the issue here? I said, the computer's not working. And she said, well, good, just let it sit. We don't need a computer anyway. I said, finances? Oh, yeah. Um, So maybe we do need the computer. And she said, well, what are your, you know, she asked the good old questions. Have you tried turning the button on? Have you tried this? And um, very helpful, uh, very helpful. It, it, it calmed me. It calmed me to know that she was right there with me. Um, but even with her good suggestions, and there were good suggestions, um, it, just, it just wasn't working. And I, I just thought, this is horrible because we got all these, and this is the bad side of the computer. You got all this information on it. And the idea of backing up your computer wasn't really a big deal yet. And I just thought, we're in trouble with this thing. And she said, well, have you prayed about it? And I said, have I prayed about it? Every time I hit the thing, I'm praying, God, you know. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I had, I had been really praying, God, I need help. Show me how to fix this thing, whatever. And she said, well, have you asked God to fix it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Good idea. So I humored Cindy, and I prayed a very just, yeah, God, this thing needs, you know, Mike talked about laying on of hands last week. We, you know, we just prayed over this computer that was not functioning at all and, uh, and went and had supper and I came back and, and I just stared at the, the machine. I thought, what are we going to do with this thing? And I hit the button, <laughs> the lights blinked, the computer came on and it worked like new. And uh, it was a really humbling experience for me to sit there and say, it wasn't because it cooled down, folks. I tried everything. God fixed the computer, period. And it really took a simple comment from Cindy to say, have you asked God to fix it? As opposed to having me fix it and God help me fix this thing, would you fix it? Um, and it was just a fascinating experience for me to really know that God genuinely cares about the little details. And, and in that moment, it was a big detail. But I look back at it um, and many other issues in our lives, in our family's life, how God has fixed and is concerned about the small little things and the lilies of the field, but how much more important an eye to the, uh, than uh, those lilies in the fields. And I just wanted to encourage us as we kind of look through God's word and, and look at different things to consider this. Um, what do you do when you face or in the midst of a problem? What is your first reaction? How do you view the problems when they come arise, when they come about, when they arise? How do you view the problem? Are they opportunities? <laughs> do you smile and say, oh, good, here we go? Or is it an obstacle? It's something that you're thinking, mm, I really am not ready for this, God. How do you view problems? How does God expect you to react to problems? How does God expect you to react to problems when they arise? This morning, I came in a bit earlier than normal over here to the office, and uh, Pastor West saw me in a T-shirt and probably wondered, is he going to preach in a T-shirt? Hmm. Um, wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> and, uh, and I decided to crank up a, a cup of coffee real quick. And I have one of those old, not, not the uh, Kurik, but a Senseo machine where you pop it up, put the coffee in, and you get one cup at a time. And as I was kind of hustling about doing this, that, and the other, multitasking, and I forgot to put the top down, I turned it on, pff, water, Coffee, grounds, the mess. And I sat there and said, oh, I really need this. And then I thought, man, I'm talking about problems right now. I do need this. So I stopped and said, okay, God, all right, we're going to deal with this right now in the right manner. And I cleaned up my mess and went without coffee this morning. Um, Does God really care about our problems? Sure he does. Scripture is absolutely full 
of the things that he does for his children. And even for those who aren't his children at times, he reaches out and helps people. He genuinely cares about our problems. First Peter chapter five, verses six and following. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're not unique. We are not unique. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a bit, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Those are great thoughts. It's a promise of God that he does genuinely care about our problems. And he wants us to cast those cares onto him. So why trust in God? Well, number one, he knows you're going to have troubles. He knows that there are going to be problems that come our way. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me, you might have peace. In the world, trials, tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. John 16, What then shall we say? Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? God knows we're going to have trials and tribulations, but he wants to offer us peace. 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And I think back to here in 1 Peter, it basically says, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able if you choose to walk with him. He will show you the way of escape also, that you can endure these issues, these trials, these tribulations, these problems. But we must choose the way of escape that he provides for us. First Peter 5, 6, I just read that a minute ago um, already, and I just repeated that part about the same sufferings going on about the world. And, and it closes out, and the grace of God who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore to you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. He knows. Cast your burdens upon him. He knows that you're going to have trials. So why trust in God? He knows they're going to be coming. He knows that trials and tribulations are on their way. Secondly, his load is light. His load is light. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through the end. Um, a very familiar um, passage for us. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through the end of the, the chapter. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why trust in God? Why trust in God? His load is light. And he wants us to, quote, yoke up with him so that he can, did you catch the word? Teach us. Teach us how to move through whatever it is that's hindering us at that moment in time. His yoke is easy. You think of oxen and and the farmers and those who use those wooden yokes. And they have one of those beasts are really familiar with the yoke system and are are very strong and smart and know what's going to happen if they don't do something right. They've been trained. And often to train a new young bull or whatever it is they're going to plop in here and to work along side by side, they put an inexperience with experience so the experience can train the other and they can get and learn how to work together as a team and accomplish things. And Jesus says right here in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why trust in God? Because he wants us, our burden to be lifted, to be light, and to work with him. And he will take us through those trials, those tribulations, that we might be able to endure it. But we must choose to grab his yoke. must choose the way out that he is showing and providing for us. That's a second reason why I trust in God. Thirdly, on my own, I'll likely make it worse. On my own, I'll likely make it worse. James chapter 1 um, no temptation is overtaking you, but such. Oh, that's 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 First Corinthians first ten thir, or First Corinthians ten thirteen. Um, James chapter one. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am not. Uh, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished. It leads to death. And there's that little process. If we choose not to walk with God through the midst of problems, things can really go awry and a big mess evolves. Uh, we can think of a simple biblical example, a very classic one, David and Bathsheba. David is home in his palace. His army is out fighting war. Why he didn't go? Don't know. Was it sin that he didn't go? No. Bad choice? Probably. It wasn't an issue of good versus evil that he decided to wander up onto the, in the early hours of the evening up onto the rooftop. And he wanders up there and he's just kind of looking out over his kingdom. And, and as he's looking out over the city, he sees this beautiful young woman, Bathsheba, bathing. Sin? No. But it begins in this process. He had a choice to make. You know... We can stop there, put a little pause on, and shift over to today's society. And I know, you know, men are more visual than women in general. And I can't say there's a handful of times, folks, that I've been plugging away, working right in. We have our computer right in the main area of our house. And plugging away in the computer, showing somebody that I've brought in. Here I am, pastor of the Lonely Question Church. We're gathered around the computer. You've got to see this amazing thing. Click, 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 bang, bang, bang. Do a little search and up. And in the search string, you get Google. Nowadays, it's Bing and a whole bunch of other ones. But then it was a Google search. And in the search string, there's all kinds of options to choose. You know, it gives like 50,000. Here's what you search for. Here's 50,000 suggestions. And when you read those little suggestions, sometimes you can't tell what's in there. And bang, you hit the next one. And wham, here comes a pornographic shot. And here our pastor of the Lonely Wesleyan Church going, whoa, where'd that come from? Now, when there's people gathered around me, it's pretty easy to hit delete or cancel, back up, and get out of it. 
But what are you doing when you're working on your own, folks? And those strings are set there. The, the pornographic people, those people who run this, the, the whole pornographic industry have figured out they are bad smart. That, boy, when any of these kind of searches happen, bam, we can hit this and come up in the search process. And if we get somebody there who doesn't look really close in those little lines and says, oh, yeah, there's a good one. Whoa. And what do you do now? What did David do when the problem presented itself? Each one is tempted and dragged away when lust is conceived. And that's what happened to David. Lust was conceived. He saw this woman, thought, wow, who's this? She's really pretty. And he started to think things through a little bit. And so he wanted to get to know her. So he invites her to come over to his house or his palace. And who's going to resist coming over to the palace? Probably the woman... Um, just thought, wow, the king wants to see me. That's kind of a cool thing. And they, they come together and they have dinner or whatever it is or snacks and an ice cream cone. Who knows? But one thing leads to another to eventually the point of adultery is committed by both of them. But David is instigating this whole thing. And sin is birthed. Sin is birthed. And she goes her way. She goes home the next day. And then shortly thereafter, she said, hey, David, guess what? <laughs> I'm with child. Ooh, now we got a problem. Now, was there a problem before? Yeah, but David wasn't even thinking about it. But all of a sudden, he's got a problem. And how does he approach this problem that he created? Now, wisdom, wisdom would say, God, forgive me. And down on my hands and knees and plead for mercy and seek his wisdom on how to handle this thing. But David kind of thinks, okay, what can we do about this? And he starts to work things through. And you, you know the story. He essentially says, okay, I know. I'll get her husband. I'll bring him back from the front lines. I'll tell him I need him to send a message to the commander. So I'll arrange for him to come back. And um, I'll just say, you know, interview him. How's the war going? You know, the guy's hanging in there. Um, yeah, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. I'll get him home and I'll have him stay overnight uh, with his family, so he has plenty of rest to get back. Yeah, this will work great. Sends away, Uriah's brought back, and um, he sits down and talks with him and gets the whole thing sorted out and says, okay, so go ahead, you know, it's kind of late, you know, um, all the fast food places are shut, you know, no, no way. Why don't you go home, take it easy, and, and tomorrow come by here and, and just let me know how you're doing, and I'll give you the last bit of the information in case anything changes, and uh, we'll send you back to the front lines. And he wouldn't. I mean, the guy went down and slept at the doorstep because he felt guilty. He felt like all my brothers are out there giving their lives for my country, my nation, for my king. I can't, I can't go into my home and relax and lounge and, and spend the evening with my wife and my child. I can't do that. So he sleeps out front. And he comes back up to David the next morning and says, Hey, you know, I just want you to know I, I appreciate everything you did, but I... I, I couldn't spend the evening in the, in the home. Um, and so, and David's thinking, oh boy, what am I going to do now? So he tries it again, but this time he gets him drunk, figures, well, party, 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 and just tries a whole nother angle from this, but it won't happen. And so in frustration, David is really, he, he cannot get the two to come together in hopes that this might make him think that he's the father of this baby that his wife has. And so David thinks, okay, I'll just send him out with a message and the message will go to the commander. I hate doing this, but I think the only thing I can do in this is going to have to have him go out to the front lines and maybe if they back off, they get in a really heated firefight and then I'll back off and leave him out there and he'll be killed in battle. And he sends the note. He carries his own 
death note, and that takes place. Sin leads to death. David is the one who really died in that process because he continued down trying to resolve the problems that he had caused initially, but he continues to try to solve them on his own without God's help. And it just gets deeper and worse and worse and worse. On a lighter, on a lighter point, um, John and Shannon Croft were co-workers of ours in the Czech Republic. We lived in Germany from 91 to 97 and then in Czech Republic, 97 to 2003. And when the Croft, John is a great storyteller. He's a blast to, to be around. And, uh, when we first started to get to know them, we would go over there once in a while for Thanksgiving. They would come over to our place and we'd share um, holidays together a little bit because they were new in 95. We were experienced with four years of wisdom <laughs> under our belt. And so the denomination asked us to kind of sneak over and help them out and all this kind of stuff. And we just really started to bond. And then lo and behold, God actually relocated the Austins to work with the Crofts and in the denomination in the Czech Republic. And it was, it was just a great time for our family. And I remember him sharing a story in 95 as they came over to the Czech Republic. Um, Shanda's kind of a neat Nick, uh, a lot like me. And uh, yeah, anyway, um, she was very neat and she wanted things. They had their place. And if you ever go to her home here or there, it's just orderly. And uh, we had mission committee meetings in their home. And sometimes I wondered, how does she cope with this? With all of our children and all of her children just going all over the place. And popcorn and ice cream and all these things happening. And it's such a neat place. Well, in 1995, when they moved over, the first place that the people had found for them to live in was disaster. It was, it was filled with insects and bugs and dirt and filth. And, and she was just almost sick when she saw it. And she said, John, we can't move into this thing. We're going to stay in a hotel. We're going to stay somewhere. And another Christian family there in the community uh, opened their home up for the Crofts. And they, every day, went over. And they just worked and worked and worked. Well, it didn't take but a few days for Travis, Brooke, and Rachel, their children, to think, this is old. (laughs) And I want to go home to America where people speak normal and they eat real food and, 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 and. And... um, John and Shannon knew that's not going to happen. We've, we've got to help this. And so they, they put out a little game for the three children. Here's what's going to happen. Let's work on this together as a family. We'll work really hard at it. And as soon as we're done, we'll be able to get into all of our shipment and we'll dig out our TV. It's an American TV. And we'll get our VCR, which is American. And it'll play American things. And we'll plug it all in and we'll sit down and we'll have popcorn and we'll have pizza. And we're just going to celebrate. And the kids are on board and it was a great deal. And after about a week and a half of cleaning that place to an inch within its life, they were able to move in and they sort of set things up that first day that they got in there, but the promise was there. The TV was found and dug out and plugged in. The transformer was hooked up and all the things they needed for the electronic devices to work. The popcorn, the pizza was eaten for supper. The popcorn was cooked and they sat down, turned on the TV and turned on the VCR and had a Disney movie, but the Disney movie wouldn't go into VCR. The VCR wasn't looking right. John stared at the thing and it was broke. It wasn't functioning. And you would have thought the world came to an end for those kids, especially the middle one, Brooke. She was just brokenhearted. She, she was just wanting something normal to happen in life. And she just wanted to be able to watch Cinderella do those things, you know. And, and John also himself was a bit shaken by this process and thought, God, what are you doing, you know. And starts fiddling with the VCR and banging around and playing with it and trying to do this, that, and the other. And it just wasn't going to work. And he said, I'm sorry, guys. We're, gonna, we're just going to have to 
give up on this and we'll go out tomorrow and uh, we'll pick up a, a VCR that will work with both American VC uh, videos and, and maybe the Czech videos, the PAL system. And the kids, but especially Brooke, were just distraught. And she said, Dad, you didn't even try to fix it. She goes, Brooke, I've tried to fix it. Well, you didn't take it apart. Well, you can't take them apart. Yes, you can. Well, you can't. Yes, you can. So finally, he said, all right, all right, Brooke. And he took a screwdriver and he undid the top and he opened it up. And there it was. There's a couple of broken plastic pieces hanging around in there, which prevent the VCR from actually going in. And uh, it was just broken. And he looked at it and says, Brooke, it's, it's broken. It got crushed in shipment. It's, it can't work. And she goes, well, how do you know? You didn't ask God to fix it. <laughs> and he said, Honey, God doesn't, you don't understand. Yes, I do. You don't understand. And this seven-year-old, I think, I don't know how old she really was, said, you need to pray that God will fix it. And he said, okay, let's pray. And he just threw out this real quick prayer. God, fix the VCR. Amen. And he said, see, the pieces are still there. It's not going to work, honey. And she says, well, you didn't try it. And he goes, you don't need to try these things. And he slammed the VCR in or the tape in and hit the button and it played and it worked. And John was in tears telling that story. It's humorous, but it's a fact that God genuinely cared about that little girl's heart. And he wanted to show her, yeah, but he wanted to show John and me and you that he really does care about those things in our lives, those, those needs that we have. We're much greater than the lilies of the field and, and the sparrows of the field. And, and God worries about those things in our lives. And he knows that we're going to have these problems in these situations. And so... Um, how are we going to deal with these problems? I think Daniel chapter two, Daniel is probably my favorite, and I'd be careful on this, but one, uh, one of my favorite biblical characters, I just love Daniel. The guy is just really a strong tower in, in Jesus and God. And Nebuchadnezzar has grabbed a bunch of the Jews and they've been exiled to Babylon and he has this horrible dream. And Daniel and a handful of others have been groomed because they're pretty sharp guys, strong, smart, wise. And these guys have been set aside and given special permissions and, and special uh, homes, etc., cetera, um, in Babylon, separated out from the other Jews. And Nebuchadnezzar has used them at different times for problem solving. But he has a dream, and this dream is haunting him. And so he calls his sources, magicians, and all these satraps and brings them all together and says, guys, here's a scoop. I've had this horrible dream. And I need you to tell me the dream and interpret it. Because he was on to these guys. He knows that, you know, if I tell them the dream, they'll come up with some wild, harebrained idea. And, and so he just wanted to really see, did they really, really know what's going on? And they said, well, hey, king, live forever. Tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. He goes, no, I'm on to you guys. You're just stalling. I know what's going on here. This is actually my translation, by the way. Um, chapter 2 in Daniel. And I'm on to you guys. You tell me the dream. And you interpret it. And they go, you, never. There's no way. No way we can do Nobody can do that. Only the gods know that. And they're not even around here. How in the world? You can't. No king in his right mind has ever, ever asked his magicians and sorcerers, etc. to do this kind of thing. You're really unreasonable. He said, fine, you're done. And he's going to take them out. He's going to take their families out, the whole shebang, everything. And, and including all the other wise people that say they're wise and, and useful and helpful. And that included, therefore, Daniel and all those other Jewish people that had been brought over in exile. So an Ariok goes over who really liked Daniel and really was fascinated by Daniel's faith in God. He goes to Daniel and said, uh, got bad news. Um, the king has decided that all of you guys, including his own people, are going to be executed. And Daniel's like, Why? 
And he explains the story to uh, Daniel. And Daniel seeks audience with the king, is permitted, goes to the king and said, King, live forever. Give me some time. I'm going to go back and ask God to reveal to me the dream that I might be able to interpret it. He doesn't say you're unreasonable. He doesn't whine and cry. He just says, give me some time to go to God, my God in heaven. The king's like, whoa, this is like really different. Okay, sure. Give you a couple days. Dana goes back. First thing he does, seeks out three friends. Hanani, Mishael, and Arai, or Anani, or I can't remember. Hanani, Arai. The three are brought together and says, guys, here's a scoop. We need God's wisdom to come down upon us. We need God's favor. He's got to show us this dream that Nebuchadnezzar's had so that we can give it interpretation for him that God might be glorified. And they go in prayer and spend time in prayer. And here's, here's the real kicker that I really enjoy about this story in Daniel chapter 2. It's when it's revealed to him. The answers are given to uh, Daniel. And... During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised God, the God of heaven, and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and dispossesses them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God, my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in Daniel's situation, I probably would have pulled out my little cell phone and connected up with with Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, you're not going to believe this. God has given me the answer to the dream. I'll be right over. I'll explain it to you, and we'll get this thing interpreted, and we'll just move forward, okay? And even in that little moment right there, God has given, I would have connected, God has given me the answer, but Daniel doesn't even do that. He doesn't even go to Nebuchadnezzar. He goes right to God and he worships and he adores and he praises God right there before he does anything else. That's an, that's an incredible thing, especially when you think about the intensity of the moment and what's happening um, or what potentially could happen to him and all the others um, around him. Trust in God. Daniel's trust was just incredible. Really incredible. Where's your trust? Where do you stand when trials and tribulations come tumbling into your lives? Could be through tragedy. It could be through um, job loss or you got a new boss or who knows. It could be family issues right in your own little family or maybe the extended family. There's so many things that can happen. Your computer could crash. All kinds of things can happen to us. Where's your trust? What is your first step to resolve the issues? Do you go to God? Let me just throw out a couple quick comments here as we wrap this up. Practical applications. Do not neglect, number one, do not neglect your relationship with God. In the scripture reading this morning, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't neglect your relationship with God. Keep it in tune. 
Seek him day in, day out. First, as the sun goes up, as the sun goes down. Know God. Love him. Commune with him. Worship him. Talk to him. Complain to him. Do the things that you would normally do because he is God and he cares. He wants you to cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Secondly, don't panic. Don't do a David. Don't panic and try to resolve this on your own. Be more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, hey, you know what? God's in control here. And you know what? If we burn, no big deal. God's in control. Just God's in control. Don't panic. Trust God. So work on your relationship. Keep it in tune. Don't panic. Don't lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will. He will make your path straight. So don't lean on your own understanding. Do take the problem to God and let it go. Now I have four and five. I've got them both as four. Because it's kind of hard to know which one comes before the other. Maybe somebody here can figure this one out better. But I have, do take the problem to God. Let it go. Do seek support from other believers. Daniel went to other people who he knew who loved God and who could pray to God. And it's very easy for us. And some of you right here, me included, sometimes when times are tough, we go to our close friends. And sometimes some of those close friends are just kind of smart people. But they don't have the wisdom of God. And he might give us good resolve, good ideas, but not godly resolve, not godly ideas. Seek out Christian friends, intimate friends, and allow them to know of the issue that you're facing and seek their prayer support. And together, take this to God and let God speak to you, speak to them, to you, and work together. Be cautious, be cautious of seeking out ungodly wisdom but seek godly wisdom and finally worship god and praise him as soon as he gives you the way out that you might be able to endure that you might be able to escape before you even move on through the problem as god begins to give you revelation rejoice in him and worship him and sing his praises so those are just some thoughts as i think about trusting in god my wife has, uh, had shared something years and years ago, I think even before we were married. It said, pray when you feel like it, pray when you don't, pray until you do. And I said, there's really a lot of wisdom in that. I've changed it all kinds of ways in different ways. Eat when you feel like it, eat when you don't, eat until you do. Um, I've changed it to work out a lot of ways in my life. But here's one, just I thought of this one. Trust God when you feel like it. Sometimes it's just easy to trust God. Trust God when you don't. That's kind of hard. Sometimes I think, God, do you really care? Do you really see what's happening to me, my family, my friends, or whatever it is? Trust God when you don't feel like it. Trust God until you do, until it becomes a habit that the first thing that happens, you're like a Daniel. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, I just want to spend some time with God. Allow him to speak to me and help me through to give you some wisdom. Let's pray. God, thank you that you care about the details of our lives that you're in the business of fixing all kinds of things, things that we think aren't really all that important. But God, you do. You know what we need. And things that can't be fixed or shouldn't be fixed, it's okay. Kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It's okay. Rather trust in God than in men. And so God, help us today as we move on from here, that Lord, we would be quick to hear, slow to speak, that we would 
be still and know you and that we would trust you with our lives. In Christ Jesus we pray, amen.